Some stories are simple, are easy. Some we won't even remember. But others linger, invading our minds, festering under our skin, and then finally falling off the bone welcome to off the bone the podcast about the true murder sprees and unsolved mysteries of our shared past we are your hosts jm and nicole as a warning we will be discussing stories that are brutal macabre and horrifying in nature this is not for little ears but then if you clicked on a podcast called off the bone what the hell were you expecting bath is a quiet township only five miles north of lansing roughly an hour and a half from detroit With a population reaching just under 2,100 in 2010, the community is small and tight-knit. So was the case in the 1920s. In 1920, Bath had just taken a hit to the population from the previous census. By some accounts, the population was 300 in 1927. Most of the population were farmers or tradesmen, and the area was rural, still without electricity and other modern conveniences. Earlier in 1922, The scattered one-room schoolhouses in the area had been replaced with the modern and vast Bath Consolidated School, teaching some 275 to 314 students from Bath and neighboring areas, from kindergarten all the way up to high school graduation. Bath Township in the 1920s is very much like it is today, quiet, idyllic, and lushly forested by raw Michigan beauty. It was also the scene of the deadliest school massacre in the U.S. history. Born in Tecumseh, Michigan in 1872, Andrew Kehoe was intelligent but often angry. One out of 13 children, he loved to tinker with his father's machinery, which ultimately advanced to his schooling in the now Michigan State University in the Electrical Engineering Department. Later on in his life, he would craft metal puzzles for guests to complete at at parties, ever the tinkerer, To further his craft, he moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where an unexpected accident happened. There's not much detail as to what occurred, but the accident left him in a coma for nearly two weeks. When he recovered, he moved back to his father's farm. That's when the incidences began. While away, his father had remarried after his mother passed. His new stepmother, Frances Wilder, was also a widow, but was much younger than his deceased mother. In fact, she was closer in age to Andrew than to his father, and this didn't set well with the son. Soon after, in 1911, when Frances was trying to light the family stove, it exploded, setting her on fire. Attempts were made to put it out, but only made the fire completely immolate her. She died a short time later, with rumors abounding that the stove had been tampered with, but no investigation was made. In 1912, Andrew married Nellie Price, and seven years later, they bought a house from Nellie's aunt just outside of Bath Township. Andrew Kehoe liked things to go his way, but if they did not, he held a grudge or pushed for action. Such was the case when he shot and killed a neighbor's dog that came into his property and annoyed him with its barking, or when he beat a horse to death when it did not perform as much as he wanted. 
However, his work in the community, drive, and frugalness helped him get appointed to the treasurer of Bath Consolidated School Board in 1924, where he fought to lower taxes and expenditures. Often these would become accusations of mismanagement and fiscal mishandling. In 1925, he was elected temporarily as the Bath Township Clerk, but in the public election in 1926, he was defeated. Around this time, his wife's health was failing due to tuberculosis. He was struggling to continue to work the farm, couldn't afford the new taxes that the school brought to the area, and stopped paying on his mortgage. His home was in foreclosure. His wife was constantly ill. His farm had failed. And in his mind, he had no one to blame but everyone else, especially that school and everyone in it. Instead of looking for help, he began looking for explosives. In the months that followed, Andrew Keyhole methodically prepared his attack. Back in the 1920s, dynamite and other incendiaries were commonly used on farms, often to remove debris or tree stumps or roots. Beginning in mid-1926, he began to buy small quantities in the area, going to different stores on different days, never arousing suspicion. Some of the explosives were World War I surplus, legally bought from the government. Some possibly were stolen from a bridge site, but that still remained unconfirmed. In December of 1926, he purchased a .30-06 Western bolt-action rifle with 100 rounds of ammunition. In May, the heavy lifting began, setting up the explosives. Since he worked so closely with the school, no one questioned him having access or being around. On May 10th, he was able to complete most of the setting up of the explosives. Careful and methodical, he worked, making sure to be discreet and enigmatic if asked any questions. There were really four points of attack in this massacre, as there were four points to prove. It was a symbolic destruction of everything that Andrew Kehoe was and had been. The first was Nellie. No one knows exactly when, but after Nellie was released from the hospital two days prior, she was murdered. Her remains were eventually found in a wheelbarrow at the rear of the farm's chicken coop, charred from the imminent explosions and subsequent fire. The second, was the house and farm. In the early morning of May 18, 1927, Kehoe detonated the firebombs in his house and farm buildings, causing some debris to fly into a neighbor's chicken coop. Each one of Kehoe's livestock was shot and killed prior to the bombs being set off, and Andrew Kehoe's plan was in motion. As neighbors and crewmen putting up electricity in town rushed to try to put the fire out, Andrew Kehoe pulled up in his pickup truck and told them, boys, you are my friends, you better get out of here. You better go down to the school. The third point of attack was the school. Kehoe drove to the distance to the school at moderate pace, no doubt watching the clock, as businesses opened for the day and school was beginning. At 8.45 without warning, the bombs in the school basement detonated instantly. Windows along the streets were blown out by the force. Pews from a local church were thrust from their spots and people were knocked to the ground. The school was in shambles. No one knew what was happening, but knew it cost their town dearly. Immediately, survivors searched for other survivors in the rubble, as neighbors and power linemen rushed to help. The superintendent had survived and was attempting to create order in the chaos. With the final point of attack in mind, Andrew Keyhole pulled up into the chaos with his pickup truck, full of metal parts, perfect for shrapnel. He beckoned to the superintendent, 
with all the vitriol of his grudges and attempted to shoot him. However, a struggle broke out and instead he detonated his last device, his own vehicle, killing the superintendent, himself, and other innocent people. Andrew Keyhole was 55 years old. The superintendent was 33. His plan had been fulfilled. Later located on his property was a sign he had made as his last manifesto. Criminals are made, not born. After his last explosion, hundreds of people worked all day and into the night in an effort to find and rescue any children and teachers pinned underneath in the wreckage. They found an additional 500 pounds of dynamite, which had failed to detonate in the south wing of the school. In total, 38 elementary school children and six adults were murdered in the Bath School Massacre. News of the school bombing died out as quickly as Charles Lindbergh's success was in the national papers and caught the public eye. The school was eventually repaired and functioned until the 1970s when it was torn down and a public park was erected. During the school's reconstruction, dynamite was found in the building on three separate occasions. Tributes and monuments are seen throughout the Memorial Park, including the cupola that survived the bombing. The Prince family claimed Nellie's remains, and her body is buried in Lansing under her main name. One of Kehoe's sisters claimed his remains and arranged for burial without ceremony in an unmarked grave at Mount Russ Cemetery in St. John's, Michigan. In May Day, by Grant Parker, this astounding tragedy and quiet aftermath in rural America is perfectly summed up. Repression of the crime may also account for avoidance of the Bath disaster by news and other publishers over the past 50 years. Although it may rank as the greatest mass murder ever committed on American soil, it is usually omitted in any reference to great American crimes. In commenting on the phenomenon in 1966, James Pooler of the Free Press concluded, there are some horrors, like nightmares, which psychologists say the mind tucks away in forgotten places and never tries to recall. The Bath Massacre is one of those nightmares. The end. Awesome, awesome. I've been looking forward to this one because uh, I have a rant. <laughs> please, so, please proceed. So I did a good amount of reading on the Bath City bombing and I'm afraid I failed you guys. I couldn't find any fiction based on the story. I mean, if you squint and give the story the benefit of the doubt, you can kind of see some influences in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, kind of. yeah. Really, the only thing they have in common is that both Freddy and Kehoe worked for the school and they both murdered innocent children for no damn good reason. So this got me thinking, why has this killer not inspired stories? I mean, the whole point of this podcast is to talk about real life monsters and the stories they inspire. It's kind of what we do with these guys and girls. We defang them, making them boogeymen. We poke fun and make them inhuman. We dress them up like clowns and let them perform for us. And we damned well should. These are killers. They took away parents, children's, aunts, uncles, friends. It's kind of a downer, but there are days I've had a hard time forgetting that these monsters in men's skin served out bad deaths to people and shattered the lives of those who loved them. All that being said, we haven't done that with Kehoe. And I had to sit with this for a minute. Why? Why hasn't he inspired a single horror writer? I thought at first it was because Kehoe killed children, but that's not it. We write about child killers all the time. Hell, we're talking about more than a few of them this season. I think I finally figured it out though. There is nothing creative about this man. All he did was murder babies because he didn't get the job he wanted. He wasn't psychotic like the New Orleans Axeman. He's not mysterious like Keddie Cabin Killer. He's just a pathetic sore loser. 
asshole who pitched a childish fit because he didn't get what he wanted. Now, I'm not praising creative killers. They're monsters, and there's not a damn thing to admire. Sometimes there's something to pity, but that's it. But this asshole is worse than that. He's just an entitled dick who didn't get his way. He murdered children. So fuck him. Here, here. End of rant. <laughs> no, that actually really surprised me too with researching this is that there is like nothing and it is literally the the worst thing that happened in a schoolhouse ever that we know of. Yeah, and it is messed up. I mean, you, you compare these two other school shootings, which of course- I'm going to show my age here. I was in high school when the Columbine shooting happened. I went through all the terrors that happened after that. I went through having classmates go into nervous fits and sobbing. Kids scared to go to school. Yeah, It's nothing like this, though. So premeditated and, again, just not even just a complete, complete and utter disregard for any children or innocent people because he was pissy. He was a fucking pissy dude. Yeah. Killed his wife. Didn't need to kill his wife. Killed all his livestock. Didn't need to kill his livestock. I know. Like, okay, it's not worse than killing all those kids, but he shot his neighbor's fucking dog. Because it was barking. Dogs bark, buddy. That's what they do. That's what they do. Kind of known for it. And killing a horse because it wouldn't do what he wanted it to do. I mean, like, this guy was a major straight up chicken shit punk. And I'm just, I'm just surprised because I guess there's, when it comes to to killers, or at least when it comes to murder stories, there's some kind of reverence to it. I would like to think, I usually see within the horror community, some kind of reverence, like we need to find this asshole or we have to pin this asshole to the wall or this tragedy happened. What can we learn from it? And the pure silence of it is very eerie to me. Again, I I thought at first maybe it was because this was an elementary school. These were babies, but... All kinds. All kinds of kids. I mean, and again, the superintendent was very young. Yeah, younger than me. Very young. Kind of impressed he had that job at that age. (laughs) (laughs) Like, go him. (laughs) Yeah, and from all the accounts that I read, because there are some that actually go very, very deep into precisely what happened at precise times. He was very in control, trying to just save people. Like a hero, true hero. And honestly, Kehoe could have killed a lot more if he hadn't been stopped. And again, this is a small, tight-knit community. I mean, like this is basically like your uncle or somebody that you grown up with like kind of all your life yeah maybe he's a dick but you wouldn't expect him to i don't know freaking put shrapnel in his truck to try to kill everybody yeah nothing nothing redeemable about this person nor should there be well on that happy note (laughs) yeah check out haunted mtl uh we have a couple other podcasts on there we're always talking about anything horror horror adjacent there you got books? Yep, I have several books. Uh, check out, you know, the Woven series on Amazon and also Station 86. And I'm going to plug, um, like, local or, you know, even Twitter artists. You know, there's a lot of people that are doing commissions right now and a lot of just really phenomenal, like, artists that are out there that deserve your your good money and will give you something spectacular for what you ask. Absolutely. Check people out on Patreon because some of the best art I've ever seen is going on there. All right. I think that's all this episode, though. Yep, that is it. We will see you guys next week. Have fun. Be safe. Bye.